everybody's grief is unique. You'll hear that over and over again. And it truly is. Your grief isn't more important than somebody else's grief. So please reserve your judgment. Somebody whose pet may have died, that may have been the child that they could never have. We just don't know what the circumstances. Somebody losing a grandma, that grandparents may have raised the child. So they're going to be very important. We don't know what's behind the person's grief. You can just stay in your grief and be gentle with anybody else's grief. To me, that's so important. People don't need to be fixed. We're not broken. We're grieving. Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future after the loss of a spouse. I'm your host, Stacey Francis, President and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Our special guest today, Anne Debut, is a grief coach. She's also an author and has a fantastic podcast that I was fortunate enough to be able to be a guest on. Her mission is to provide support, understanding, and compassion to people like you who are dealing with a difficult grief journey. Today, we're going to be talking about the book she wrote called Grief's Abyss, Finding Your Pathway to Peace. She's going to be talking about some of the myths that people have about grief, in addition to the key strategies and insights that you can use to help you deal with the pain and the confusion of grief. She also will give you some takeaways and some fantastic resources, books that will literally change your life. And don't worry, all this information is in the show notes as well. So without further ado, please help me welcome my special guest today, Anne Dubuque. And I am so excited to talk to you today and have you speak here on Financially Ever After Widowhood. You have so much experience and so much just heart that you bring to your work. And again, just want to give you a great big welcome. And if you don't mind, I lots of questions to ask you. Stacy, this is just an honor and a privilege to be talking to your people. And thank you for the invite. I'm just delighted to be talking with you again today. Well, thank you for coming. And one of the things I wanted to just kind of go straight to is to talk about a recent book that you just wrote. If you don't mind just sharing a little bit about the book, is this something that you had been thinking about writing for a while and how it all came to you? Well, the book was actually published in two. 2015. So it's been around for a little while. And it all began as part of my course work when I was learning to become a grief coach. I am a certified heartbreak to happiness coach, you would say. 
I was going through a hundred hours of being coached and coaching to be able to get that designation. As well, when once I got it, I began writing the book because that was sort of the next step my mentor had us go through. It was going to be called grief etiquette because being a Brit, I had thought and I had gone to the Victorian age to see what I could find that might be helpful that could explain what the heck was going on after the death of my dad. I had no clue what I had been hit with. So this was my attempt to help others because I figured, well, I've got a nursing background. I'm now a grief and loss coach. How do others who don't have this information, how do they find their way? So the book began as my legacy, if you like, to my dad, mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. share with others. And that's how it became. Of course, the title did change from Grief Etiquette. I still think that would have made a brilliant title. But anyway, we went with Grief's Abyss. Yeah, so Grief's Abyss, Finding Your Pathway to Peace. I have to say that peace and grief typically are not used in the same sentence. Tell me more about that. Tell me more about your pathway and the pathway you see for other women that are dealing with a loss. I had it in my head that I needed a map. It's something my dad had taught me. It felt like my compass had become broken and I needed to have it reset. So to me, it represented a journey that I needed to go on and be able to find my way through this very, very bewildering landscape that I found myself in. Grief's Abyss was the title that we sort of settled on. My editor at the time said, oh, I don't know if I like that. So we looked it up, or she looked it up in the dictionary. It ended up being perfect because abyss is something that's deep, it's mm-hmm. wide, it's mm-hmm. unfathomable. And I believe the dictionary at the time described it as being deep hell, like mm-hmm. being mm-hmm. hell. So she said, okay, we're leaving the title. So that is how that began. I saw it as a journey. And I don't know, well, you must have seen the change, you shape. And I had read uh, Joseph Campbell's The Hero, so his work. And that is what it felt like to me. Mm -hmm. Life had been going perfectly wonderful. And then all of a sudden, dad's death, sudden loss, the carpet was pulled out from underneath me. I just was left there wondering what to do. So the pathway to peace, I saw myself going down into this valley and then having what I called no man's land, one foot in the past, one foot in the future, which is you're holding on because you don't know what the future is going to be. And then once you start working through and with your grief and you can see 
that there is an end to it mm -hmm. and how your life is changing, how you're growing. And these can be considered gifts that our journey sort of opens up and shares with us. And the pathway to peace was when I decided that I was no longer going to allow my grief to define who I was and what was my future without dad going to look like. That is where it was sort of, I had found my peace by going on this journey and I was hoping that I could guide others to find their peace after their very crazy time going through grief. Can you talk to me about some of the myths that surround grief? I feel like there are so many. One that I'm just thinking of right now is stay busy, that somehow that's going to make it better or make it go away. Can you share, Anne, some of the myths that you talk about? Absolutely. I'll go back to that one. My all-time favorite is time heals. We know mm. it does. However, you have to take action. Time heals, but you need to be moving towards something. You need to be taking action steps. Staying busy, I've discovered that there are so many different ways people can navigate their grief. Some people will want to become busy just because it's giving them a respite. However, there is a caveat to that. If you are using your busyness as a way of avoiding your grief, then that is one surefire way that the grief is going to sort of go in and it will come out at the most inopportune moments. So you may think you're escaping, mm -hmm. but you're not. Stay strong, don't cry is another one. Well, grief, it's your emotions. Mm -hmm. By staying strong, again, you're delaying the inevitable. And to me, it takes courage. Yeah and strength to be able to allow yourself to go in to the grief, to allow yourself to cry, and even to cry in public that we are just so, so scared and ashamed to actually do. So it takes courage to give yourself permission. So I don't mm -hmm. see crying as a weakness at all. I hear you, and crying is a way of processing grief. Absolutely. It's a hundred percent human and it's a way that we can start to heal. We can start to heal. And I, I love the stay busy time heals. And while time might take some of the edge off of that pain, I almost think about it as having an injury that that injury that first day might be very painful. But eventually, it hurts less and less. But if you haven't actually gotten medical help, let's say it's a broken arm, it, while might not be quite as acute as that first day when you broke your arm, if it's not treated, if you don't see a doctor and have therapy and get it set and all of that, that pain will be with you ongoing, let alone it won't be healing in the right way. So I love how you're talking about making sure that you are 
taking the steps you need to do the internal work. And that's something that I would love to hear from you, Anne. What does some of that internal work look like to be able to start to process grief and move through? Yeah. What a lot of people don't understand is grief affects you mentally, physically, emotionally, socially, and spiritually. So it's not just the emotions that we need to learn to live with, because a lot of us have been taught that emotions aren't acceptable. Go to your room if you want to cry. Big boys, you know, don't cry. So males grow up with that sort of thing. Oh, it's not ladylike to show your anger. So a number of all these emotions, which are going to be very prevalent, sometimes within minutes of the event happening, they're certainly not linear, but I'm positive you've shared that with your guests before, so I won't go into it. But even physically, all the ailments that the grief can create, our bodies or our mind doesn't recognize that you're not being chased by a saber-toothed tiger. It just sees the grief as a threat. So Mm -hmm. your body in those grief stages are under continual stress. And that is something we need to alleviate before we can even start to take the action is to understand the stress that you're under. Just by understanding the stress and the complexities and all the hormonal chemicals that are running around your body can potentially create digestive issues. It can create you almost feeling as if you're going to have a heart attack. It Mm -hmm. can create insomnia. People either want to eat more, it can increase your appetite, or it can decrease. And these are just the tip of the iceberg of some of the physical issues that grief can present with. So people get scared. They think there's something medically going on. This is why we say, go see your family physician, talk to them, let them know. And if you're worried, yes, get these things checked out, but seek help. It's so important. Socially, a lot of people will isolate because of the shame and the fear of crime Mm -hmm. in public. Mm -hmm. They may also feel that, well, people aren't reaching out to me. I don't matter, so I'm isolating. And that's the worst thing you can do. I know it sounds awful, but if that is where you may be, reach out to your friends because chances are they're giving you space. They don't want to upset you. There are a number of reasons why people on the other side are not reaching out to you. So as I say, I'm not. Yeah, Yeah, and and I would definitely agree with you, Anne. Your friends want to be there for you, but many of them don't know how. They don't have the language. They don't have the coaching skills that you've gone to school for and worked hundreds of hours to attain. The other piece that I see as very helpful for someone who is going through grief is to be able to talk to another person who has experienced grief as well, because there's this unspoken understanding 
and emotionally safe space where you both understand, you both get each other. There's no judgment and you're just showing up however that might be. And if you already have a community and know of others that are dealing with a loss as well, that's wonderful. But I will tell you, and not a lot of people do, you know, and a lot of widows, we are younger than many people realize. And so making sure that you reach out to your synagogue, you know, reach out to a grief coach, see if they have maybe a group, a therapist, getting involved in your community, because you bet that there are many other women out there just like you. Absolutely. And that's one of the things I say, grief needs to be supported. So thank you for putting all that in there for sure. Back to that time heals. It's almost like people feel like there's a timeline for grief. Can you talk about the many different timelines that grief has that it can be very different for each person based on where they are, what their experience, their loss experience, whether the person was a sudden death or God forbid, a very long terminal illness. But I do see many people almost giving themselves a timeline Mm -hmm. of when they should be able to start to move on and then holding themselves to that in a very almost tyrannical type way. Absolutely. It's almost like the stages. Well, I've gone through anger, so what's next? Okay, I'm into fear. Because we want to feel like we're making progress, right? Exactly, exactly. On my journey, about a year after dad died, I was still working. I was taking care of my elderly mum who was showing big signs of dementia. I chose to put my grief down and go back to living. Having made that choice didn't mean that I didn't feel the emotions when birthdays, Christmases, Father's Day came up, all the big triggers. And the second year was probably just, I wasn't in that pain, but I coach my clients to be aware of those triggers, especially in the second year. The third year, I can say I began to climb out of the abyss, and I found amazing work by uh, George Bonanno. He's a psychologist, has spent his entire life researching trauma and grief, and he categorizes about the average person will spend time in grief one to three years. Some will just spend three months in it. They've done extensive research into that. Yes, the person has grieved and worked through it. Then there are ones that don't seem to ever be able to heal and move through it. But Mm -hmm. these percentages get less and less. And those are the ones that I can't remember the name of it. It was complicated grief, but the DSM-5 changed it recently. There's more going on there than just the death. That needs to be, I would say, seek professional help if that is you. I want to go back to the gentleman you had mentioned, George Bonanno. He has written many books, but there's one in particular that really 
I think speaks to what we're talking about today. It's called The Other Side of Sadness, what the new science of bereavement tells us about life after loss. And I was just doing some research on that book while we were speaking, and one of the comments was from a woman who her husband passed away during COVID after they had been married for 40 years. Being in lockdown obviously made it even more difficult, but she mentioned that his writing was just very accessible, very gentle, very truthful to help her start to process that grief. And so definitely reaching out to professionals, reading your book, really important, The Grief Abyss, but then other books too, and just surrounding yourself with a blanket of support in all the different ways that you can give yourself that support. And knowing that for you, again, there is no timeline. You had mentioned that it was really the second and third year where you started to come out of that grief abyss. And for some people, it may not be ever, but knowing that there are things that you can do that you can actively recover in grief versus just living with grief all over you and not being able to process it, not being able to slowly start to unpeel that onion. Absolutely. Yeah. The onion. There is different layers. Father's Day still trips me up. 2011 was when my dad died. But yeah, depending on what's going on, you'll still miss them. But I am reassured that that pain that you feel in the initial stages is what recedes and lessens when you fill it up with the good memories and the positive things rather than picking the scab off and looking at what's not in your life anymore. That's the piece that I really like to reassure people Mm -hmm. that you're not going to feel that pain forever. I don't think the body could live with it. It would be too, too much for it. I think for a lot of people, that is the concern. Yes. That I'm going to feel this acute pain forever. It's almost like having a knife in your side. The last thing you want to do is to stop that pain. And it. you talk a lot about the fight or flight, that feeling of it has to stop, it has to stop. And and sharing that news with our listeners of it's not going to be forever. It isn't going to be forever. You are both a nurse, have been a nurse, and then also as a grief coach, you've seen people deal with all types of grief from losing the love of their life, a spouse, losing a child, losing a dear friend, a parent, a sibling. When you have someone who's coming to you that is in that just very acute pain of grief, what are some of those you know additional key insights or strategies that you offer? They may not be able to act upon them right now at that moment, but what are some of those things that hopefully down the line they would be able to take in and be able to move forward with? I like to give them sort of daily activities for the widow that just cannot get out of bed, just Mm -hmm. attempting to get out of bed and put her slippers on 
and then the next day perhaps going to the kitchen, then sitting with a cup of tea. So sort of little small steps like that for the person that can't stop crying and has to return to work, then it may be the bathroom becomes their biggest friend so they can go there and release their tears. Or what I discovered was acknowledging, all right, I'm feeling this way, but right now I cannot cry, but I promise I will deal with you when I get home. And I would sit in my chair with a picture, with a candle, and I would attempt to remember what it was, what that trigger was, so that I could deal with my grief. It's just being aware of your emotions and acknowledging them in, a bit like the poet Rumi, I think it's the visitor, welcome them in, sit down, talk to them. They all are there for a reason. And I've sort of gone into that in the book. And this is all information that people can get from an amazing author and educator, Carla McLaren, who has the Language of Emotions book. I've read that. It's became my Bible. And there's a lot of wonderful information in that that I share with my clients in journaling what you're feeling in that particular time so that there comes a point where you feel you're never going to get better. But if you look back at your journal, you can see those little steps. So having little daily rituals, it may be getting up a little bit earlier, writing your journal, meditation, breath work. I cannot stress the importance and I always start my clients off with sort of a minute or two meditation as we set the intentions for our coaching. And when you can do long, slow, deep breaths, you're sending those signals to the brain that you're not in the fight or flight or freeze. You're safe because the body then recognizes if you're breathing that deeply, you're safe. So that is very, very important. And for all of you listening, in addition to The Other Side of Grief, the book that was mentioned we were speaking about just a few moments ago, we'll make sure that that is in the show notes, as well as the language of emotions, what your feelings are trying to tell you. That's by, as you mentioned, Anne Carla McLaren. And I love this conversation because it's so rich and what's wonderful are the number of different tools. This book is helping you journal and to be able to put words to those emotions so that you can communicate, you can see them on the page. Again, I love how, and this is different ways of looking at this from reading books to journaling, to breath work, to communities and working with a coach or a therapist, just again, all of these different ways to empower, to really empower you to be moving through grief. I know we're coming up to the end. Any last tips or suggestions that you have or wonderful resources that would be helpful for our listeners dealing with the loss of a loved one? Absolutely. 
everybody's grief is unique. You'll hear that over and over again. And it truly is. Your grief isn't more important than somebody else's grief. So please reserve your judgment. Somebody whose pet may have died, that may have been the child that they could never have. We just don't know what the circumstances. Somebody losing a grandma, that grandparents may have raised the child. So they're going to be very important. We don't know what's behind the person's grief. You can just stay in your grief and be gentle with anybody else's grief. To me, that's so important. People don't need to be fixed. We're not broken. We're grieving. And I'm so happy you share that and really picking up on two things. Number one, that you can't compare grief. A loss is so different to everyone and where they are in their relationship. But then also the fixing piece. I do see that, that Mm -hmm. it's almost as if friends or family members show up with an imaginary tool belt telling you what you should be doing. This is completely unrelated, but my daughter has not been feeling well. She's been sick. And we are working with all the doctors. We are doing everything we can. And the number of people that they'll say, how's Samantha? And I'll I'll share what's going on. And then they go right into their tool belt with what we should be doing for her medically. And, and that's the last thing I want to hear. If they're a doctor, of course, all ears. If they're a nutritionist, of course, all ears are, you know, a healing practitioner. But sometimes I just want to be heard. I just want to be heard of how hard it is as a mom to see your child suffer and feel like you're doing everything you can, wishing that the pain that they're feeling, that you're feeling it for them, but you can't. And just having someone hold my hand to just say, that must be really awful. You know, I'm here. Instead of saying, you know, try this supplement, try that supplement, whatever it might be. And I feel that sometimes that that extends to grief too, right? Let me make this better for you. But that's not what I want. No, as you said, you just want to be heard and seen. And I'm sorry that that is your experience. And I do hope you are able to find out what is hurting your daughter and that she can feel better soon. Can I continue with what you have just raised because it is so important. Please do. By giving the person suggestions of what to do, you're discounting what it is they're feeling. Wow. Yeah. Can you say that again? Because that's so powerful. You're discounting what it is they're feeling. And what I hear time and time again is people will say they totally wash over what you have just said or i remember when my great aunt maud or when this happened to the neighbor down the street this is how they did it all of a sudden you're putting the person who is grieving in sort of the seat where they feel then they have to take care of you because you're now into a story instead of just sitting and listening to the person. As you said, you just want it to be heard, not fair. Yeah. I love you saying that because it also gives our listeners permission to voice those words of, I just need to be heard. 
that's just what I need. I don't need to be fixed. I don't need suggestions. I just need to be heard and listened to. And I can't thank you enough. How can our listeners find out more about your work, your website, how they can reach out to you? Can you share, please? Certainly. My website is understandinggrief.com. They can hear Carla McLaren on my podcast, Let's Talk About Grief. <laughs> That's another one where they may be able to get reassurance about a particular grief and find a bit of hope as mm-hmm. I listen to other people's stories. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, kind of, sort of. Well, we will be sure to include your website, all of the links so that our listeners can get a hold of you, and as well as links to the fantastic books and other resources that you shared. Thank you so much for joining us on Financially Ever After Widowhood, Anne. This was a fantastic conversation. I know I got so much from it. I feel like I am on my learning grief journey, too, and This was just another wonderful chapter in that journey as well. Thank you. Well, thank you so much, Stacey. Truly was an honor to be sharing this. The more people that know about it, the better. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you again, Anne. So welcome. Thank you, Stacey. I was so honored to have Anne as a guest on our podcast talking in real terms what grief is all about. It can be confusing. It can be painful, sad, all of those things wrapped into one. And while each person has a different experience and definitely shined a flashlight on the mystery of grief and talking about that there really are no timelines, that while time does not heal all and that staying busy is not necessarily the best solution. She shines definitely a light of compassion and hope, letting you all know that grief is not here forever. I highly encourage you to check out not only Anne's books, but the books that we talked about today as well. For many people, grief is not just an emotional journey, but it's also a financial journey. If you have any questions about your financial situation and whether or not you're on track for a long-term secure financial future, please do reach out to me and I can really take the mystery out of that to see exactly where you are, what steps you need to take, and make sure that you are financially secure forever. You can reach out to me at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at FrancisFinancial.com. Please also visit our website at www.francisfinancial.com. Thank you, and we'll be seeing you in two short weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call, and the number is 347 682-5580. Let me say that again. 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me 
at Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at FrancisFinancial.com. Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.